Well, it's almost like I perfectly set it up, but my favourite day of the year is Good Friday because it helps to frame every other day of the year for me. And most importantly, um, it makes me appreciate the goodness of Easter Sunday. On Good Friday, I embrace mourning and a posture of remembrance as I reflect. Now, lucky for me, this sermon series that we're doing over Lent uh, means that we're spending six whole weeks on in Good Friday and the texts of Jesus' last words from the cross. Good Friday, the day Jesus dies, takes us on a journey of despair and desolation. And it transports us to a place of comfort and consolation. Meditating on Jesus' last words helps us put difficulties into perspective, put sin in its place, and opens our eyes to the expanse of God's love for us. These last words dynamically teach who Jesus is, what he was about, and why on earth he came to be with us. They offer solace and instruction to all who listen, and they're really, really short, so we don't really have an excuse not to go and read them. So my question for you this morning is, over the duration of Lent, will you listen? Will you explore these words together as a community, as you reflect on your own spiritual journey? Today, we're going to look at the second utterance recorded in Luke, and they are the words that Jesus speaks to the criminal beside him. Now, no examination of these seven last words of Jesus is adequate without us carefully considering the circumstances under which they were spoken. So for those that like a little bit of a map of where we're going this morning, I think Judy has some slides. No, we don't have slides. No, we've got no slides. Never mind. I never said anything. Slides aren't happening this morning. Well, we are going to look at the setting of this verse, being Jerusalem. Then we're going to jump into the reading and have a look at sort of the responses to Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look at sort of the takeaway. What can we package up and take with us into our lives? So first, let's think about where this is taking place. We're doing this because we kind of want to get into the minds of the common person in Jesus's day. Now, I know many of you have been on Holy Land tours, so you'll be able to conjure up a picture in your head, uh, but I personally couldn't because I haven't been there. I, that's where I was going to say I have a picture, but just imagine, think, think to the pictures in your Bible. Uh, so, on this certain week in the 33rd year of Christ's life, Jerusalem was bustling. Does anyone know why? It was Passover. Awesome. We have some A-plus Bible students. Well, it was a time of celebration and remembering for the people of Israel. A whole week for them to reflect on how God had freed them long ago on the very first Passover. Tyranny, slavery and abuse had ended for their people in Egypt and that was something worth remembering and celebrating. But the times had changed. The Israelites in Jerusalem were back under oppressive rule this time at the hands of the Roman Empire. Now, we all have the propensity to long for the good old days, a simpler time, but I think it was really justified 
for the Jewish citizens in ancient Jerusalem, who hadn't had political independence for centuries. And under Roman rule, taxes were high for them, savings were meagre, health was a fragile thing, and the mood was deeply oppressive. Wonderful, we have slides. Thank you, tech team. Well, Israel was longing for relief again, remembering God's provision before. Sometimes I think it can be hard for us to empathise with people in biblical times, living under oppression, much like that we see on the news these days in places like Afghanistan, because it's not our reality here in Australia. But I think to a lesser degree, we all experience oppression. And I want to make the, the distinction between oppression with a capital O, which is what they were feeling, and, and oppression with maybe a lowercase O, which is what I want to talk about today. What that means, that our lives aren't in danger, However, we still have places that we long for relief. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school where study is just getting the best of you. Or maybe it's at home. Places where we feel an immense amount of pressure that has us looking for a way out and escape. Life can be hard. The Jews of Jesus' time had hard lives they were hoping for freedom and hoping for an out. I wonder if you know that feeling in some small way. Because that's the feeling in the air during Passover week in Jerusalem. But word is starting to get out about this guy named Jesus. He's performing miracles, he's fulfilling prophecies, and there's anticipation in the air. He must be the Messiah, the one who's going to free them, offer them an out, bring them relief by toppling this empire that's oppressing them. And so many people greet Jesus at the town gates, at the gates of Jerusalem the previous Sunday, on Palm Sunday. They're putting down their robes for him to walk on, recognising him as king. He is coming to save them, so they shout, Hosanna. Maybe this would be the year of the turning of tables, the casting off of shackles and the end to oppression, the coming of their Lord. I think we can all maybe to a lesser degree relate to that yearning of the people of Jerusalem. In our hearts, we want relief too. We want better days. We want better governments. We see corruption and injustice and we want change. Well, Jesus' arrival was electrifying. It seems like everybody wanted him to be the answer. However, we know things didn't go as planned. All of this excitement just sets the stage for this tragic disappointment in the eyes of the Jewish community in Jerusalem in Jesus' time. They're expecting a powerful Messiah, Power as they have seen it before. Power as they have seen it represented around them. Jesus entered as king on Palm Sunday, but was killed as a criminal just a few days later. So much for their hope. And we see, we see it, their hope is lost. They become the very ones who demand Jesus' crucifixion 
instead requesting the release of another criminal. This is just one of the responses we see to Jesus in the Easter story. Totally missing it. But in Jesus' last words to the criminals next to him on the cross, we get a promise of hope that we really need and that no one was anticipating. So let's dive into today's reading. On the Thursday night, in pitch black during the evening, Jesus is sentenced to the crucifixion. And on Friday, he is put up on the cross between two other criminals. Let's read from Luke 23 together. Verse 35 says, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saves others. Let him save himself if he is truly God, the Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, Well, if you're really the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung next to him hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But then on the other side, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, here we see two criminals either side of him on the cross, and two very different responses to Jesus. These two criminals are experiencing the exact same Jesus under the exact same circumstances, but with very different responses and therefore very different outcomes for them. We're given very little information about the criminals in scripture. We don't know what their crime was. All we know is that to be crucified in this time, they had to be part of the lower class. This was... This was the sentencing for somebody who wasn't worth much. It was a cheap way to deal with someone and it was a humiliating way. So they were probably of the slave class. It was a humiliating type of death. We could imagine, though, that they were repeat offenders and people that the Roman Empire really wanted to make an example of by having them crucified. Now, these criminals, they may have heard of Jesus. They may have heard of his miracles and teachings. Or maybe they were so busy with a life of crime, they never had. We're not told in scripture. But from the cross, both criminals observe Jesus in his final moments. They observed Jesus showing mercy by praying to the Father for forgiveness for his tormentors, as we saw in David's sermon and the reading last week. And we see Jesus and they see Jesus remaining silent and patient as they mock him, not being tempted to hurl insults back at them or rebuke them. We have Jesus here, an innocent man next to two criminals, all of them dying. Yet who is it that's being mocked? 
It's the innocent one. As if crucifixion was not humiliating enough for the King of Kings, not enough of a cosmic tragedy. The leaders and the soldiers and the executioners ridicule the God who had made them and sustained their existence. They had no idea whom they were talking to and the jeering continued. Now we see criminal number one and they're not, they're not labelled one or two but I'm going to do it just for clarity in today's sermon. We see the first criminal join in on the mockery. He says, are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's almost implying that, hey, Jesus, if you're powerful, show us. Prove it to us. Show me that you fulfil my standards of what I expect power to look like. And I also wonder if he is joining in with the soldiers and the leaders and the executioners because he observes them as having the power in this situation. And he thinks that if he uh, kind of sides with them, they might have the ability to prolong his life or take him off the cross. But in criminal number two, we see a different response. His heart is softened. He allows himself to see that there is something about this man who hangs in front of him, this suffering, seemingly powerless man in front of him, which is radically different. We aren't told exactly what it is that the criminal recognises, makes the criminal recognise who Jesus is, but he does. He says in verse 40, Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. What does this statement show us? It shows that the criminal understood. He understood the pure, sinless nature of Jesus, who hangs next to him, and he understands that he himself is flawed, that he has done wrong, that he does deserve, by this worldly standard, punishment. It's a statement of understanding whom he is and who Christ is. We remember that the criminal has witnessed, as we saw last week, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' forgiveness for those who hurt him and seeing then that God has a heart for mercy. And the criminal longs for this forgiveness that he saw Jesus pray about. So he then turns to Jesus and says, Remember me, when you come into your kingdom. This line has always shocked me because it's an interesting and a really humble request. He doesn't ask to be taken to the kingdom. He just asks to be remembered. That when he dies, that won't be the finality of his life, that he will at least live on in someone's memory, in the king's memory. He just requests that Jesus, who will rightfully go into the kingdom, would remember him. But Jesus then turns to the criminal, and this is, this is our key verse for today, and says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine how that must have felt for this dying man next to Jesus on the cross? to be told that, yes, he had been condemned to death in this world. That morning when he woke up, he thought that was going to be the end. 
But no, today he was actually going to be with the king of all kings in paradise to be taken from punishment to the new kingdom. He died with hope that this was not his end. In his final moments before death, Jesus spoke a promise that we all need. We might not be criminals in a foreign land. We might not be a people living under political oppression, but still we are broken, we are sinful, we make mistakes. We hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And we get caught up in all of this brokenness that is around us. But what we find as we look at this second saying of Christ on the cross is Jesus offering us assurance. Assurance of hope that we can be with Jesus. That we can go into paradise with Jesus. Hope is a powerful, powerful thing. We've seen it in the last few weeks on the news as we hear stories from Turkey and from Syria. I read an article briefly after the earthquake that was entitled, Survivors in Rubble Spark Hope for More Miracles. In a southern Turkish city, it's 24 hours after the earthquake and they had only pulled deceased people from a fallen apartment building. So the families uh, stood around just waiting to receive the bodies of their family members so they could bury them. But then they pull a woman and, from the rubble and she's making noise. She's about 50 and they realise she is alive. They take her to the ambulance and her son goes with her to the hospital. Now several onlookers said this gave them renewed hope that they didn't have moments before that their own missing loved one might still be alive and still be found. Hope is a powerful thing. There will be many things in our life that we want to put our hope into. And they're not bad things. Some are wonderfully wholesome. We might hope in the goodness of humanity, a newborn baby, a new job, a relationship, maybe a political change that we like, a lottery ticket or a fresh start, or even in the case of those Turkish families, a renewed hope in the rescue efforts. Now, those things are nice, positively wonderful, some of them, and maybe they will bring goodness to our lives, but none of them are a sure thing. All those things are of this world. They are unfortunately caught up in the brokenness of it all. And they can and probably will at times let us down. That doesn't mean abandon them completely. But today's passage and the passion of Christ warns us too that we might want to put our hope in things that the world tells us are worthy and powerful. But it's on the cross, in a place that seems weak, that has none of the markers of worldly kingdoms or power, that we find the most and the only assuring hope of all.
It shows us that we need to be discerning and weary of the things in our world that look powerful and good. Don't put all of your eggs or all of your hope in those things and miss the only assured hope that any of us have. In Luke 23, as it tells us of Jesus' death, we see the criminal mocking Jesus, possibly hoping to get on the good side of his executors, whom he reads as having the power to get him free. We see most of the Jewish community miss the real hope. We see them assuming that their relief looks like the toppling of empire and their own political revival. We see them discount the real hope and relief, Jesus as completely powerless, casting his death aside as a failure. But most importantly, what we are shown from this reading is how to access this assurance of hope, of hope in our salvation and the kingdom to come. If in his last hour of life, a guilty criminal could find God's compassion, grace and mercy, then we can as well. It's good to remember that this criminal never entered the baptismal waters. He would never do a Bible study. He would never learn a prayer. He would never walk into a church. He'd never help the least of these or the poor because he died a couple of hours later. But he did do that one and only thing that needed to be done for the assurance of salvation. He turned to Jesus in faith. He recognised Christ and he asked for help. He acknowledged who Jesus was and the criminal made a request concerning his deepest and greatest need. It's the same for us. It's not about what we do or how well or terribly we do it. Just like the criminal, all we need to do is express our trust and Jesus will promise us paradise. So what is it that you are struggling with today? What is it that you desire the deepest down in your soul? What brokenness are you tangled up in? What baggage of sin are you dragging around with you? I encourage you today, think of that. Look into the eyes of Jesus on the cross and speak the criminal's words as your own. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I remind you that the assurance of Christ is with us all now. We don't have to wait till our dying moments. It's with us into eternity that we will never, ever be alone. When we confess to God, when we are honest about our brokenness, all of it is forgiven, not just some. Paradise and true companionship with Christ is in sight. So please know Jesus' words back to us today. Today you will be with me in paradise. I'd like to invite the music team back up.